Welcome, everybody, to Dead Cat uh, episode we are extremely excited about. We have Jason Kalkanis, the all-in host, this week in startups, angel investor, famous for investing in Uber. I've been ahead of this episode. Katie and I went on Jason's show, This Week in Startups, in 2016. And that oh, was wow. like, you were Jason, you were an extremely early uh, supporter of me as a as a young uh, tech reporter. and Cub so- <laughs> reporter at The Information and Bloomberg, <laughs> exactly, I remember. Exactly. And in the, the episode with Katie and I, we're sort of, you know, discussing Facebook's content moderation. So it, <laughs> it's amazing. Paradoxical. Ju- just like how much some of the like same themes keep coming up. But thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, there's so much uh, to talk about. How, how do you, <laughs> Is there how, anything in the news? Is there you, Bob Iger? <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty big one. Slow this week (laughs) on a holiday week. (laughs) FTX, Um, Theranos. I mean, how do how do you split your time these days? I think that that's just as a starting point. So I angel invest, and people don't really actually understand the pace at which the investment is going right now. I put about sixty million to work a year in about seventy five to a hundred investments. I have twenty two people on the podcasting and investment team. That's launched this week in startups all in. So it's a pretty at scale seed fund, but I'm a, what's called a solo GP. And, you know, we've invested in 350 companies to date. And we have the largest syndicate in the world. It's like an angel investing syndicate called the syndicate.com. It's 11,000 members. So when I invest in a company, maybe about half the time the founder wants additional investment. So we will syndicate it. Uh, and then I do podcasting in the mornings with Molly Wood. Uh, for this week in startups. And then I have still have the company inside.com, a newsletter and social news site that I've been working on, does a couple of million a year in revenue. And so that gives me like a little media itch to scratch. And uh, yeah, then once in a while, I work on some special projects. Or whatever. And all in, it's, it's the 21st most popular podcast. It was 14 Facebook, right? last week. 14 last week. I was looking yeah. at you know, one of the lists just now on Apple, but I'm sure there are 50 different kind of crazy, to, slice yeah, it. to be honest. Like, I mean, you're you're getting recognized on the street at this point now, right? I mean, I mean, if I was in a tech city, people <laughs> might recognize me. You know, like if I'm in Austin or New York, they would have been. They would have anyway, right? Because of this week in starters, but it would right. be like once. Now, right. the thing about all in is the tech industry is not that popular, so we you wouldn't get to that level without having some other constituents. So finance colleges. Like I was skiing with my daughters and I asked somebody if they were done with their table and she's like, oh my God, Jake Al. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, do we know each other? And, you know, she said, no, I'm a dentist. I said, oh, uh, you know, and she's like, I listen to your pod every weekend twice. I'm like, why don't you listen to it twice? And she's like, oh, you know, I'm trying to learn and it's kind of replace like meet the press for me. It's like my Sunday morning show, which paradoxically is kind of how I impart what I base the format on. What, what, what oh, that's the, so interesting. I thought you were going to say, Jason, that I'm a dentist and we play all in during, you know, over the speakers at our <laughs> dentist's office. Yes, She'd burst on your teeth and you'd forgotten. Yeah. It's like, well, people are getting a fill in. They're like, is that Shema? Exactly. <laughs> it, it has crossed over in a way that is completely bizarre. College kids, big time. Like a lot of them listen to it. And it's saturated. But it makes sense to me. I mean, like like a lot inside. of colleges. Oh, sorry. I was just saying a lot of colleges have venture capital clubs now and venture investing clubs. So it makes total sense. Yeah. I mean, and people want to hear us talk about things we're not experts on, like politics and COVID and other topics, which is... That's I why guess, people listen to us, actually, to hear us talk about... I'm <laughs> 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 just kidding. <laughs> it's a little weird, though. Like, people are like, how dare you talk about COVID? And I'm like, aren't you talking about COVID with your friends? And they're like, yeah, but I don't have a top 100 podcast. And I'm like, well, you could also listen to the pod and then realize we're not experts, and then go do your own research. And they're like, no, you're experts. I'm like, I just told you we're not experts. And you told me you understand we're not experts. So why is it so tweaking that, you know, non-experts are having a conversation about a random topic? So this is like sort of, but this leads to a tech question that I think you're equipped to, well equipped to address, which is how Mm. technology has really broken down the barrier between experts and non-experts, right? Because everybody has equal access to a public platform or mm-hmm. near equal access to a public platform. So what do you, th- you know, walk me through how you see that sort of as the pros and cons of that destruction of the barrier between expertise and non-expert. Yeah. You know, we probably all lived in 
a bit of a bubble where we just thought, well, we can trust anybody who's an expert, right? Well, I just trust my doctor and they're going to give me the right information. And then people learned over time, like, well, maybe my doctor doesn't have all the answers. Maybe there's some alternative medicine or maybe yoga practice would help me with my back pain. Maybe I don't need to just do drugs and, you know, take Vicodin or something, right? So people, I think over the last couple of decades, probably, like you're saying, Katie, because of the internet, have had access to the same information as their doctor. So you're sitting in your doctor doctor's office, doctor says, oh, you should take Vicodin for your back pain. And you look it up and you find an article that's like, well, this is addictive. You say, well, isn't it addictive? And doctor's like, yeah, but I, I don't have anything else for you. And then somebody else says, oh, you know, I did hot yoga. It, it healed my back or I lost 10 pounds. So I think we've started to maybe get back to where we should have always been, which is the search for truth is elusive and you should take a, a, a multi-pronged approach to figuring out what the truth is and what the truth is for you. So your truth might be different than mine. And I'm not a conspiracy theorist here, but you know, sometimes yesterday's conspiracy theories are tomorrow's Pulitzer Prizes, right? We've all seen this happen. What's an example of that? Are you thinking about like Theranos or something? Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, we all have been journalists for a long time and we put Theranos on the cover of magazines. I didn't, but I'm sure all the publications yeah, you've like worked for had lauded her. Company. Yeah, absolutely. New York Times, yeah, I'm sure has put them uh, put her on the cover. Oh, yeah, with you know. Mark Andreessen. <laughs> that was yeah, good. so... Um, didn't Mark Andreessen's wife write yeah, these exactly. pieces? Who wrote it? It's it funny was how the yeah. media gets flame, but Mark Andreessen, uh, Laura <laughs> wrote it. But yes, uh, I was gonna, we did. We did publish it. We did. Publish I was going to let that. You one have to slide, take ownership but, of it, right? Yeah. Sure. So anyway, yeah. so Theranos is one. I think um, actually with COVID, uh, I don't know if you read ProPublica's piece with Vanity Fair on um, the Wuhan lab, lab leak. Yeah. The lab yeah, leak theory. Right. You were to be kicked off. Yeah, you would have been kicked off of social media or right. your podcast would be labeled and you'd be kicked off Spotify if you even acknowledged that 18 months ago. And ProPublica is going to win, you know, a journalism awards for it if it turns out to be true. And maybe it's not. Maybe the CCP is denying it now. Uh, so here we go. But Our job is journalists. Point. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, when I was a journalist and I started in the 90s, one of the first journalists I met at The New York Times was a cub reporter named Jason Blair. And he called me on the mm. phone. He said, oh, you have Silicon Alley Reporter. I, I'm gonna, my new beat is Silicon Alley. Can we meet? I met with him. And I was like, this guy's a dope. Like, really is dumb. I, I was just struck by how stupid he was. And he's like, let me know like, whatever information you have so I can write a story uh, and I'll, I'll get you good press. And I'm like, so I, you know, I went to some of the other New York, Saul Hansel. I was like, who is this person? <laughs> like, uh, And, you know, kind of eye rolls or whatever. And everybody makes mistakes. That whole scandal led to the downfall of the then editor of the New York Times. It was actually yeah. quite a quite a messy, yes. devastating episode. Because he'd Times been his history. biggest champion, yes. But your your point, Jason, is that you could kind of tell early on meeting this guy that something was amiss with him, and he seemed, even for a journalist, fairly dumb. He yeah, it just he didn't seem like the level of a New York Times journalist. And I was listen, I had started my own publication. I wasn't getting published by the New York Times. I just was a hack who started a, a newsletter called Silicon Alley Reporter, which became a three hundred page color glossy. But, you know, I was looking at it and we were really trained hard to like take our time, make sure we had three sources. You know, we didn't back in those days, you didn't want to have off the record sources. That wasn't kind of allowed. Um, if you inserted any kind of opinion, you would get admonished and, you know, you had time to file. And probably, I don't know, one out of three stories was killed because it wasn't good enough. You know, now you fast forward because of blogging, which I was part of, and the pace and the competition and the buzz feeds of the world and business insiders of the world. You know, the pace and the filing in which people have to do stuff and the lack of fact checking. I'm talking about like a dedicated fact checking right. department. Um, all of that is gone with the exception of a small number of publications. And so there's going to be more mistakes. People are filing faster. People are doing this process journalism thing, which is really lame. And they're relying on unnamed sources. So well, what, I think there's I mean, a so lot how, of... So how does social I mean, media yeah. play into that? You know, like walk us through the role that social media has played there. Yeah. What do you think has played into it? Kidding. I mean, I don't know. I mean, because you had mentioned social media and you mentioned Business Insider. And so do you think that those are the culprits? The culprits of what? Of this sort of like sped up journalism cycle. This There's definitely a that... competition, right? People are forced to file faster and you're competing uh, because it's everything's instantly published. It's not like you can wait for the next day in print. So, yeah, I mean, the pace has increased. The resources have diminished. So it's uh, there's going to be well, we more learn mistakes. when stuff is wrong much faster. Like it's harder to yeah. imagine sort of a Stephen Glass, Jason Blair 
sustaining mm. for as long. If you're on, on the other Twitter, side of right? this, if you're on the other side of it, and your subjects uh, of you know the press today, uh, having been on both sides, uh, you become acutely aware of the mistakes, and the mistakes hit the subjects harder, faster. And so you know, you look at the New York Times away piece. You know, they demolished that founder. Felt very biased to me. Um, and so, you know, I think that's where this standoff is happening between the tech industry and certain industries and the press is. There's so much I think going there's on. A lack so trying, of, yeah. wait, first of all, where's your allegiance on uh, you uh, in the our uh, in our discussion in 2016? Yeah, you but said, if everyone gets to have their own truth, I don't know how that's an no, 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 no. But like you see yourself as a journalist. I mean, you talked about doing random acts of journalism back in 2016. Obviously, at one point, you really saw yourself as a journalist. Well, now I was a journalist. I had, right, a, magazine, right, right, right. I had a bunch of writers writing for me. Now, I'm right. a, I would say most people would say I'm a commentator, but yeah. probably an informed one. I mean, and I think that's what's happened is you're having, because of this contentiousness going back and forth, and you asked my allegiance, my allegiance is only to the truth and fairness and kindness, to be honest. Kindness. I would, no, I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious about that. Like, If I make a mistake when I'm doing commentary on a subject, I, I think, deeply about like, oh, what did I get wrong here? And I try to make up for it, right? Absolutely. So whenever something comes up like Sam Bankman freed now, I'm like, alleged, alleged. Let's make sure we say the word alleged on the pod and trying to, you know, just give a slight benefit of the doubt until the information comes out. Now, sure, but it I mean, doesn't I, look I good. was watching All In. I mean, you guys used data from like an anonymous source that Sachs had on, on some company's performance. I'm trying to remember... What the is company it anonymous was. or is or or do we have he inside did, you didn't information? Provide, yeah, right. You guys get to frame it as inside information. Well, I mean, if you're on the board, but you're of the getting company. it from no, but but you guys can't like disclose. I don't think it was a firsthand on the. Well, board I think of the what company you're getting situation. at here is you guys. What, get what's to eventually say happened in this standoff? Right, right. So you have this standoff that's occurred. There, there's equal. There's um. Both sides could do better, right? I would say the, the tech press is far too negative, and now they put the tech leaders who you know listen. We have much more influence now in tech than we ever did. It's impacting everything. I and mean, I'm not saying tech companies don't make mistakes. Far from it. Uh, trust me, I'm an investor in these companies. I have to do some of the cleanup work. But now what's happening is people are going direct because they're like, well, we can go direct. Right. We don't need the press. So people ask us to do. You know, many folks have asked us to profile all in, and the boys just decided. No, we'll just keep working on the podcast every week, and we're bigger than any the top totally. five tech public. Right. The top five tech podcast isn't as big as All In now, so why would we even need to? I'm only coming on this podcast because I'm friends with you. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> Thank you. And, and, well, no, I mean, you came on my podcast. I'm, you know, I, I really, right, right, and right. obviously, no, I respect Tom and Katie's careers. But no, because you're I doing it because be it's the, fun and interesting, not because you're like this is going to get me something. No, it's not going to get me anything. Yeah, right. So it's totally. more like it's a fun conversation. Engaging. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so I think so, that's yeah. what's going to be the trend, Tom, uh, since I see you trying to get in here on the discussion. And Eric is having a hard time moderating. Tom, I see you want to jump in. I'll just take <laughs> Listen, over the show. It's not this like is why, in. Jason, you're the uh, world's best moderator, because even when you're joke. not the moderator, you <laughs> exactly. can give moderating <laughs> tips. But I think, Tom, what do you think about sources going direct now? You well, have many sources just deciding, I'll just go direct. I'll route around and I won't talk to the press. Well, you know, I guess this gets into the definition of what the press is. And I think you actually sit in a very interesting place because you have a journalistic background, right? You spent a lot of your career building journalistic institutions that adhere to what many people would consider standard journalistic practices. So you're you're a conveyor of well-sourced truth as your reporters and, and you've tried to do it. And what I find so interesting about All In, which I listen to fairly regularly, and I do think it's a really entertaining podcast, is that you and specifically David Sachs do spend a lot of your time talking about this transition away from legacy media to going direct. And you've refused to you know, participate in any of the profiles written about you because you see no upside to it. You sort of see it maybe partly as they're being antagonistic to you. Yeah, it'll uh, be a hit piece. It right. always is. Right. It's going to be a hit piece. You're like, why participate in it? They'll write it anyway. Why should we even bother talking yeah. to the reporter over it? And yet it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, that you guys spend a lot of your time or believe, you know, very strongly that we as reporters are out to get the tech companies, that we want to take these companies down because yeah. uh, at least in the case of, you know, you're being a direct media company, it's a competitor to us that we view you as a threat. And so it's in our best interest to sort of position you as a bad thing because that, I don't know, helps our business model or helps That's us. That's actually not the reason. Okay. Explain, explain to me the reason. No, I mean, we make zero dollars from all in. 
famously, there's no ads, right? So it's not like we look at it as we're competing against the press. I think the press has been so unfair for so long that there's a level of frustration in dealing with them in the tech industry. And so most people in tech, they won't say it publicly, are just like, why bother? If the press is contacting you, it's a negative story. And if you were to go through the New York Times and just pull up the last 20 stories, and there's been some back channel of like, hey, the New York Times decided to go negative X number of years ago on tech and hold truth to power. But, you know, this whole we experience from our side with our portfolio companies, if the press calls, what people say is do not respond. It's going to be negative and just write your own blog post, do your own blog, get the message out directly. The press is only trying to do something negative to get clicks. But you, you, uh, well, that's, that's, that's the dialogue here inside of Silicon a, Valley right now. Is there a recognition, though, that the press isn't just finding these things, that it's actually employees within the companies who are calling us with the information? Like, when, I mean, of I course. understand what you're yes. saying here. So, what, is there a second part of the conversation that's like, don't comment, don't work with them. At the same time, you might want to try to figure out what's happening inside your culture because you pay these people a lot of money. They get a lot of perks, and yet they're still doing the nuclear option of reaching out to somebody they've never spoken with. It's not like the people who are calling me were my best friends. I'd never met any of them. They're yeah. still reaching out to people who they've literally never met before to go to them with this information. So you might also want to get your house in order. There might be an actual legitimate problem. Of course. Yeah, I know. So, or is it just like the press is so yeah, mean? I mean if, because it's not because we're these genius reporters all the time. People are coming to us. Of course. Listen, each situation is different. There could be people leaking information uh, because there's something horrible that's occurred, like Theranos, right? And so in that case, it's just, et cetera. And then there are cases where, like with the New York Times profile of Away, I'm not an investor, I don't know the founder, where they're like, oh, the founder told everybody in Slack, work hard because this is our busiest season. And then the New York Times makes this bashing story about the Away founder, you know, that she gave like a esprit de corpse speech, like work harder, everybody, this is it. And then a bunch of, you know, snowflake employees complain about it. I was going to say, but again, that's a New York Times say, like, That piece. was an example of employees coming to the Times. I don't think Away was a company. Yeah, it doesn't matter if the employees come enough to, the, yeah, to the New York Times be on the radar would, of the Times. So it's like, if that is the case that the employees yeah. are feeling that way, in addition to being, you can be mad at the times. And but how is it, it the totally most unfair. important? How is that the important story? And I'm why not, saying, not cover I'm, some I'm, good I'm, things? I'm yeah. saying like in where you're having these internal conversations, you can say like the times might be being unreasonable on this story. At the same yeah. time, what is going on that more than one, multiple employees would be so pissed at what you're saying is yeah. completely harmless speech that they would even take that step. It's not like those employees knew the reporter. Katie, are employees today more entitled than they were 20 years ago? Yes or no? Well, that I don't know. It depends on the industry. I think. Definitely, yes. definitely. Yes. <laughs> I can tell you the answer. I, I, yes. I was about to say. I mean, I know are people Katie, more but... entitled twenty years ago than today? That's part of. Okay. That, oh, I'm sorry. If you're, you're going to talk about like, people who work at Starbucks, I would say no. Yeah. People who work in the industries that like people at Starbucks are not more entitled. Please, I don't think have, so. Have you been to a Starbucks? <laughs> I, but you know what I mean. Like I, I think that if you if you're looking realistically at work, I don't think you can say that all employees are more entitled, and I don't think you can say all employees. Say all of. I'd say all Americans are more entitled. How about that? But putting it aside, I don't think here's I would what, say that. There's a huge okay. wealth gap, and I think there are a lot of people who don't have a lot of money or opportunity. The, and I don't never think had that lower miss, unemployment is at an all time low. But that there's and the a quality of life, unemployment uh, and yeah. low wages. And I think sure. that there are a lot of people who are working multiple part time jobs. And I don't know that I would say that they're all entitled. Especially since I don't yeah, really you know walk what? in their the press, shoes or know the them. press hammered Uber for years over driver pay. And yeah. more and more drive. Hold on. Let me finish, Katie. Driver after driver after driver has now, you know, embraced Uber and they're making $36 an hour. It's a perfect example of like the press were all over this new innovative product. That's and it turns so out people funny. voted with their dollars. People voted with their time. People want the flexibility. I mean, like, I don't have any skin on the game in yeah. Uber, and I yeah. I use Uber. I have a lot. I, I will skin. say I still have a lot. <laughs> just had a conversation with a driver. I had to wait 14 minutes for a, an Uber the other yeah. day, and I got in. I was like, why was the wait so long? And he said, well, we have all decided we don't want to drive as much because Uber's taking a bigger cut of our salary. And he was sort of showing me what we made. So I was very curious to see what he was going to make on my ride, which was, mm. for me, $18. He didn't make seemingly that much. I don't know, but it's funny that you say he's making $36 an hour. Um, uh, that's the average but, 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 in the United like, it was States. Just totally... Dara said in the last quarter, 
So you will find employees who have a but problem it was just with their totally boss random. once in a while. It's a thing. Yeah, it's like, totally it was totally random. Yeah. I'm not asking Uber. That's Eric yeah. and Tom's job. Can I, can I, can I zoom out Uber's for a second? I don't want to get... But hold on. I don't I'll tell talk you, about before, we, before we get there, I want to just say, make one point finally on this. The issue is not any one of these individual stories. The issue is that nine out of 10 stories in the New York Times is incredibly negative about tech. Now, when I was coming up, nine out of 10 were probably... Positive. You know, Pretty positive. Too positive. And <laughs> sure. it probably would be... It, there are positive stories to tell, and there is not balance right now. And right. whether it's the tech industry's fault because things went off the rails at times or wealth inequality, it feels unfair. I mean, literally, to literally this when side, we were talking in 2016, you know, just yeah. to sort of, I mean, we were, you made the point, first of all, that like when people get escape velocity, they're only going to speak with people who they're certain are going to use kid gloves. Like there was acknowledgement at the time sure. that, that people were shopping for safe places to go. Access we journalism. Were we were talking about code and we were all being pretty gentle and, you know, we all like Kara, but there was a reality that like people knew that they, you know, she, I think you said they'll ask the hard question, but they won't ask the hard follow-up question. You know, there was sort of already then in 2016, there was sort of a sense that, you know, yeah, tech was very savvy about avoiding sort of difficult questions. And I guess I think what Katie's getting at is what happened is the workers got very negative, right? I mean, the the sort of gap between the management and the workers spread. Do, do you disagree Well, part with of the that? reason we couldn't write a negative story before that is because the workers wouldn't talk. I mean, or that's, that's, your, that's your assumption. Um, it could also be that they felt great about the companies they worked at. You know, Absolutely. would a Google employee 15 years ago have anything to complain about? Probably not. No, I, I honestly think it's gener- I think it's like a big part of this is generational. Like I think people just look at work differently today than they did. And when I started in the tech industry, you were signing up for 60, 70 hour weeks. You were part of like this pirate samurai, like, you know, off the grid kind of, you know, revolutionary squad. And now tech's so big that it's everybody. And so you're going to have people who maybe don't want to work as hard or they're not necessarily considering themselves pirates or barbarians or whatever Steve Jobs and Bill Gates sort of framed it as during the era I came up in. And that's fine. I actually don't have a problem with people who want to work nine to five jobs in tech. There's room for that. And there's room for people who want to work 60 hours a week. I, I have it inside my own companies. You know, some people are work to live and some people live to work. Viva la différence as far as I'm concerned, if I'm being honest. Yeah. But I, th- but I think we're in agreement here that like a lot of this was a change in attitudes toward work. And there yes. was a time when, yes, People were so happy working at Google. You could call every single employee at the company. You would never get anybody to tell you anything other than positive stuff. And so the stories were positive. Yeah, but then they tripled their salaries and gave them more benefits and unlimited vacation. So if there's any reason to be mad at your employer, <laughs> you know. Well, sure, but that's where is. the entitlement definitely came in. Um, sure. Do you feel, Tom, that the tech industry went through a period of extreme entitlement? Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, it's coming home to roost for a lot of these companies right now because you saw Google as the the prime example of this, you know, setting out these unbelievable perks for all their employees. And now they're realizing as they're trying to get people to come back into the office and find, you know, the same sort of joie de work that they may have had a couple of years ago that they don't feel it. You know, they've gotten used to a certain standard of, you know, Mm. snacks in the break room and, you know, days off and resting, investing and all the stuff that came with being, you know, a, a highly desired worker that they can't recapture for a lot of the same reasons. But, you know, when I when I looked, and maybe we can zoom this back uh, or, or push this back towards all in, it seems like there is a politicization of a lot of these companies as well. And, and I've seen a lot of the communication teams that run these companies, a lot of them came from the politics world. And I think Ugh. that the, the coverage yeah. of these companies, and Katie can speak to this probably better than anyone here, mirrors a lot of the way political operatives communicate and, and the reporters themselves kind of view themselves as almost political reporters. And I don't know how often I see politicians say, oh, man, the coverage of Congress is too negative these days. You know, God, you guys are only writing about the scandals. Why don't you talk about all the good bills that we do? And it's like, well, OK, sure. First of all, pass a bill. But also, you know, there is uh, just a reality that with the greater power and almost political valence that these companies have, there's going to need for the press to write about these things in an almost political way. And that it, it itself is going to just skew more towards the negative. I mean, don't you view some of this as almost a success of the industry that you've been a part of for so long that because these companies sure. are so powerful, they get covered in a way where you question, you know, the, the roots of that power and, and the people at the top of these companies? 
A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, this really all goes back to one company and that that's Facebook, really Zuckerberg. You know, he had a pretty amoral compass, uh, you know, in terms of how to run the business. And, you know, it created massive second and third order effects for society. And I, I think that was like the turning point as far as I'm concerned of when like the press and tech kind of split up and it became like pretty hostile and cantankerous. I think it was that company. Uh, and yeah. I saw it all kind of go downhill after that. And you're pretty critical of Zuck, right? Uh, he's the worst actor in <laughs> tech. Okay. okay. But other than That's that, I don't critical. have much of an opinion. <laughs> no, I mean, okay. put it, I'll, I'll put it this way. You know, I'm, I'm like old school, like people create products and services and, you know, there's some love or joy with the creator, like say Evan Spiegel. And then to blatantly rip off Evan Spiegel the way he did over and over and over again amongst the Digerati, you know, the creators of companies, it was just like, ugh, is this really where the industry's going? Like Evan, Evan Williams or Jack would not do that. Kevin Systrom with Instagram would never do that. He did it under duress, obviously, when Zuck put a gun to his head and said, you know, copy stories and put it in Instagram. And so it just it got rid of kind of this um, congenial, like, yeah, sure, we might take inspiration from what you're doing, but we're going to make it our own, right? So, okay, sure, you know, every phone needs to have a calculator and a flashlight and, you know, there's some basic stuff, but we're not going to just wholesale rip everybody off. And I think that was like why he was so hated in the industry is that he was just this copying machine. And it was almost like the Borg came into the industry and kind of made it just not fun. Yeah. Uh, and it was his relentlessness. If you don't, if you don't remember, he did like a poke app and then he to do like ephemeral messaging and he did like four or five swings at the bat to try to like take on Snapchat. Oh, I remember uh, it really well. As a matter of yeah. fact, I remember the first time they redesigned messenger and it looked exactly like Snapchat. And I took a screenshot of it. This was at yeah. F8 and I sent it to Evan at snap. And I was like, does this look familiar to you? And yeah. I think he just responded with like a rolly eyes emoji. <laughs> sigh. It's just yeah. like a sigh, you know, mm -hmm. it's just, yeah. it's kind of rough when, you know, but anyway, uh, putting it aside, you know, I, I think there's actually a, a, a pretty cool path forward. Um, yeah. That I think I we're ask. working. What is it? Well, yeah. It's pretty actually straightforward. It's like actually happening right now, which is if the tech industry and journalists who work together can be all be self-aware and listen to each other a little bit. The criticism, you know, that tech will have of the press is like maybe for every two or three stories where you slam us, can can we get a profile of something new and interesting that's, you know, maybe not trying to destroy the founder and get them fired? You know, whether they deserve it or not, we can debate. But the percentage of coverage to blend feels unfair. And it depends on the publication, of course. But with a company like the New York Times, like they, people have just given up talking to But you're pretty Times. cynical of like crypto, right? I mean, we, of the course. New York Times yes. did a sort of bullish NFT piece and looks silly. You know, it, it feels like when they, it, we have been in a period where there hasn't been some great new platform. There isn't like, yeah. there are a lot of great SaaS companies, which I write about all the time, right. but there aren't these sort of singular platform companies like a Google or an Apple that you can point to right now. Or do you, are there companies you think really I mean, deserve I, I invest sort of in them. the... Yeah. They're not going to get as many clicks. <laughs> and what we have to also recognize as journalists is that our industry has now moved into compensation is tied to your follower count, your ability to drive clicks, and, and your persona. And now that didn't exist as much when I was coming up. There was an occasional Walt Mossberg or columnist, et cetera, you know, people who are critics who had outsized compensation and deals. But now, you know, when I went to sell my first book and doing the second one now, your podcast rank and your follower count drive your advance uh, or the number of emails. Your job in journalism, if you have a quarter million followers or 2,500, your compensation will be decidedly different. So there's a, you know, a little bit of a perverse incentive now to be full contact to get those clicks. Here's my question for you, Jason, because I think you've outlined a very interesting dynamic that's happened within journalism. And I don't disagree with you to an extent. We've seen this move towards substacks or or generally the... I know. I'm like, how do I relinquish being a journalist so I can just get this be direct? You've done that. You've Casey. You guys was Casey making at the New York Times versus the substack. Well, he was never at the New York Times, but the Verge. But I hear what you're saying. The Verge, rather. Here's my question, Jason, because I think what I don't quite understand in this argument, which is an interesting one, which is that your argument is that the more you focus on your brand, the yep. more it subverts the quality of journalism, right? And you need to get the clicks and you're more inclined it to can. write negative stories. You know, it's not 100% correlated, okay. but it can. 
But do you at all? Because you're a personality. I mean, I've known about you on the scene for a long time. You're a journalist. You're, you know, you have a million. I'm not a journalist a anymore. I'm clearly a commentator, but was uh, previously a journalist. Right. And But you also are, were a known quantity. I just feel like I've known your name, you know, within the journalism media world for a long time. Do you not at all feel that you were part of that trend, that you furthered that at all, that you... Oh, I furthered it for sure. I mean, just hiring Peter Rojas to be our partner at Weblogs Inc. and doing Gadget was uh-huh. part of that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying that... Um, the trend is the trend, Tom. The question is, how does it impact coverage? And how does it impact reporter behavior? How does it impact a journalist behavior in this age? I think what journalists are going to learn over time is they need to be a brand independent of, like Taylor Lorenz might be, a, you know, the canonical example here. You know, if your brand has to get bigger than the publication, and uh, she's built a brand that's bigger than but the publication But that's not solving your objections to journalism. I guess it, How you of, get that brand, how you get that brand how you can get that flywheel going, I think, is the issue. I think, actually, the criticism of the Walt era or the the Kara Swisher era, so if we're going to, like, compare the criticisms yeah. of the eras, and I'm not saying this is my criticism, this is the criticism inside of journalism and inside of the CEO sort of suite, is back then it was access. So if you had access to Steve Jobs, Kara Swisher and Walt made at least a million or $2 million each doing those conferences. Right. So then you have to ask yourself, okay, would they write the most critical piece or not? They would like to think they would. And then access could be removed. And so, and Steve Jobs, having done this with directly with Steve Jobs and Engadget, he pulled our access. That was a major financial hit when he pulled our access to going to the Steve Jobs keynotes for Engadget. That could have been a death blow. And I had to negotiate directly with Steve Jobs to get Engadget back inside the, the you know, the, right. the Apple keynotes. And so, you know, when you're the publisher or the CEO, you can see this up close and personal. I don't think that people had to compromise their coverage back then, but it certainly had to be on the minds of the publishers and the CEOs of coverage. And now it's probably too negative and it's probably too negative because that also drives views. I do think paid content does change this a bit. And I think that's part of the end game here. Subjects go direct. The top journalists have paid uh, publications and the, the search for truth gets even better for consumers. But do, do you think the truth is emerging through direct? Like there are so many different types of articles of in journalism, but like it's very hard. Like the FTX scandal, you guys are fairly negative on the media and sort of positive about Twitter accounts, you know, surfacing information. But like Coindesk, you know, really sort of moved the needle in terms of saying that there was something to miss at Alameda Research. And I feel like a lot of the the narrative through lines, how people understand the stories, even the Bology, David Sachs, all these people are extremely negative about the media, tweet out links to stories all the time. I guess it can just it can be frustrating that people are so negative about the media and then so clearly rely on the media for their um, worldview or to know what's happening. Because even I, I the think, most connected person in the world can't, can't piece everything together themselves without some, yeah. some reporting. I think independent journalists and voices is good for journalism. And I think subjects going direct is good for journalism. It gives people more access and more direct access. I think that's actually a good thing. It's going to be a little more messy. Like you don't just open the New York Times and trust everything and move on with your day. You don't just turn on CNN and accept everything. That's gospel. Uh, nor should you trust any CEO or powerful person with their own podcast directly communicating. They all are going to spin it in some direction. But it's like Kurosawa and Rashomon. There's like your version of the truth. There's mine. And there's the actual truth. There's many but, versions of truth. I mean, part, part on of the what you were, you were touching on before, which I thought made a lot of sense, like the access journalism piece of it. Basically, you know, they wanted, you know, like a Steve Jobs still wanted your audience. So they cared about you being there. And there was sort of a give and take where they could take away access, but you had some leverage because they needed audience. Now with GoDirect, the media companies have less and less leverage. Yep. So they don't have any way. And fitting it into an earlier point where, you know, if you're a top person, you want to go somewhere where you know you're going to get sort of positive coverage. What incentive does somebody have? to actually face hard questions besides you just being sort of a masochist to engage with people. But like most people, you know, like they have no incentive. They, they have their own audiences, so they have no reason to face, yeah. face hard questioning. 
What's the I, solution I mean, to that? Do you think that's a problem? When's the last time, has anybody here asked a hard question to the CEO of TikTok recently? I mean, has anybody been able to ask a hard question to Zuckerberg? You know, right. I, he went on Joe Rogan, on right? Podcast, he, he's going right. on Lex Friedman, right? right. He's going to go for the... But shouldn't people know. be more upset about that? Like, I, I feel like there isn't much... You're not, you don't seem very upset that people aren't getting I think grilled. It's a me- I honestly think it's a mess right now. And then sometimes things have to collapse in order for something new to be built. I think that's part of the process is that we're going through. I think this is like the messy middle and there's something new coming out the other side. The three of you or the four of us here talking is part of that process. I think it's the messy eye of the storm right now. Putting aside my, uh, you know, now that I can have opinions and putting aside my media concerns, I guess my- I, I do worry that as a fan of the show that you guys don't represent the Democratic Party and sort of the left wing point I'm of view. I'm the only one. <laughs> yeah. And you're, I mean, and you, Trumoff, you, you, I guess you, he donates. You but... agreed with them that like balancing the budget was your top issue on the most recent episode. I do. Yeah, but I've even, always felt that way. I'm a moderate. to vote for a Democrat or Biden in the next no, I election. Always, I, I always mean, vote for the best candidate. I voted like a, Republican three times in my life. Shameless yeah. partisan. Like the guy is, I mean, oh, he I don't is, know. Yeah. I, I just, I just feel like there, and Shamoth is clearly someone who likes to be connected to the Democratic Party, but it doesn't, he doesn't come off as like a true believer. I mean, I think what anymore. it is, is the, the Democratic Party is so far left that moderates don't feel at home in the party. And I think that is, the, the Democrats know. just did well in the midterms after Sachs was saying that would never happen. Sure. And, yeah. and you guys, you guys. Oh, I, I to said, Ukraine pretty no, I said it was quickly. about, I said it would be, I, I predicted it would be about Roe v. Wade. And I, and I tortured Sachs about it, if you remember. Uh, uh, I felt like he got off pretty fast from being sort of the like red wave proponent here. I don't know. I, he, he, he was pretty honest that he got it wrong and he, that the Republican Party needs to learn from it. Uh, but they won't, they'll never kick Trump out. It's very bizarre. I'm like, if, why don't you just say you'll never vote for Trump? And it's like, well, because he might win the primary. I think he's going to win the primary. I'll be honest. I wouldn't count Trump out. Have you surveyed the audience? Like, I mean, it feels, I guess if the Reddit, I don't know if you read the Reddit for the all in, but the, I do not. Yeah. Are you, um, by the way, I'm just lasting on the political angle yeah. because both you and Sachs are pretty outspoken in local politics and in the Bay Area and San yeah. Francisco. Sure. Uh, is that a thing you're continuing to be involved with? I mean, obviously you guys were dead set on getting Chesa removed as DA, but are you continuing to involve yourself in, in local politics here? I have the domain name MayorJason.com. <laughs> uh, so okay. I have the domain. And I've had, I mean, I had $2 million offered to me to run for mayor, like in campaign donations. Is that from David Sachs? No. I'm just uh, but, uh, but I'm sure he would in a heartbeat. <laughs> um, no, what I did in that case was I just did a GoFundMe page and I wasn't involved in the recall. I just hired a local journalist to cover strictly the cases and the human side. And I only put $500 into it. What happened to that, by the way? I remember seeing that. I Gotham by in- the Bay, she wrote a series of articles and those articles were picked up by national news that didn't have the time to, you know, spend 30, 40 hours chasing down people who had been the victims of crimes and the prosecutor who gave all the violent criminals like a, a pass. Um, so, you know. But that's as far as you're taking that. You're not going to try. I mean, you know, obviously Mike that's Moritz has got thing. his... His, his local news outlet that he's spending quite a bit of money on. You, you don't yeah, want to do that thing. as well. I, you know, I don't, I'm not a fan of politicians. I don't like politicians all that much or hanging out with them. I get invited to all these like, you know, lunches and dinners. And then they tell me the price I have to pay to have lunch with, <laughs> you know, Obama or the lunch with, you know, Hillary or the lunch with, you know, DeSantis. And I'm like, why would I pay 25 grand to have lunch with one of these people? I, I barely would want to. Hang out with politicians. But a lot of your friends like to do that, right? I mean, that's. I guess. I don't know why. It's not my thing. I think I could have more impact investing in companies and raising my kids and doing my podcasts. But are you, so you're not going to run for mayor or. You like, you like, you guys like, you guys all know the value of floating. Uh, Kara, Kara Kara floated that everybody was running for president. It's a great compliment. Do you think David Sachs really wants to be a Secretary of State? You guys have been. He would definitely be a cabinet. I I will guarantee you he'll be a cabinet member at some point for sure. We will be visiting Sachs in the White House. We'll do an all in pod from the White House at some point before our lives are over. I I 100% believe that. If, if, uh, what's his name? If Trump could be interviewed by, uh, what's his name from Barstool Sports, then. I uh, I have no doubt that there is it's open season on who would appear on a podcast. Um, I think he's hundred percent going to be in there. 100%. Yeah. yeah, you don't want to talk about it, but we have to put something. We 
What, what will you say anything about social media these days, or you know, you're in the? Headlines. I'm a huge fan of social media. <laughs> I use social media all day long. Well, you hate I'm addicted. Facebook. I'm addicted hate... to it. Uh, it. I think I Facebook like is social media. I like Twitter. I, you, I I find TikTok completely addicting, and I feel really horrible anytime I use it because there, there's yeah, this no. short, half an, short half an hour goes by and I'm like, what just happened? Yes, I deleted it when I realized I was on TikTok one day for seven hours. Goodbye. Yeah, it's they've really figured something out. I think it's a real national security risk. I think you have to ban the company or make them. um, Well, what's interesting is even if it's not a national security risk, you know, China does not allow Instagram to be used in China. Why would why do we have to allow a Chinese social media app to be used in the U.S.? India does not. Reciprocity matters. We're talking about TikTok because we're trying to ease our way into asking a Twitter question. Uh, oh, you want, you want no comment. Can we ask you about Twitter? I, you can Sorry, ask me. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I'll just like, go I'm, dead silent. Dead no, silent. Because I'm coming to this from covering not tech, but covering the special counsel's office. Great so to I don't see know you guys. Uh, it's great <laughs> to be on the pod. <laughs> uh, but why I know I'm not going to talk. Why I choose to not. You won't say You won't say anything? But why, but sorry, I'm <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm I'm sorry. Like I can't. I'm coming to this from a totally different topic. So yeah. Eric, Tom, yeah. bear with me. Can you walk me through why you can't? Because you used to be very my guide to all uh, of this stuff. Um, I am a little too close to it, and then people will, of course, reblog whatever I say. So when I when Travis was, you know, uh, running Uber, people assume that I was a proxy for Travis. In other situations, people assume I'm a proxy for other individuals or that I'm like an official spokesperson or a back channel or what do they call those people who are in politics? Surrogates. Yeah. So I have chosen that I don't talk about my friends' companies. It, it feels like, like we you, were talking about this. Are you this friends off- with – go ahead, Eric. Well, I was just saying we were talking about this before the show. Like there aren't enough – not with – you know, we were saying this, but – there are, you know, there aren't enough surrogates right now. I think part of the reason the media has become so negative to tie it back to the beginning is because workers are the sources available. You know, Elon, what, didn't he fire like the whole comms uh, department? All the Twitter stories are just about what the workers are saying. Great work with you guys. Uh, it was an awesome to be on the pod. <laughs> Peace out. All right. All right. We'll change the subject. You, <laughs> <laughs> Leave um, me out of it. Is it? Is it I'm awesome? a huge fan of the Twitter app. The end. <laughs> Yeah, you have a verified. Totally. You have a verified uh, all right, let's change. I like yeah, Katie's approach, I'm, though. As I'm, a journalist, here's here's why Katie is such a better I'm journalist to this, than like, from Tom a totally and Eric. Different world, exactly. But here's why, Katie, you are so much better of a journalist than Tom and Eric put together. Because I don't just scream at you. For the record, Jason, I have not been yelling at all here. And my strategy as a reporter is to let people talk and talk and talk until they say too <laughs> I much. Talk themselves into a corner. <laughs> yeah. I'm breaking your job. Stop. You are an excellent. No, I actually excellent. don't care. Uh, reporter. Uh, <laughs> You're like, I can't care I less about your opinion, Jake. I, 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 I know, know that's actually not true, Jason. I, I actually, my, my, my first time meeting you, I kind of cornered you into talking to me. If oh, you really? remember this are, at all. Yeah, because you had just pivoted uh, Mahalo uh, uh, into Inside.com. And, and you PTSD. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't talk to the press at all. And I emailed you saying, I found out what you're doing. If you don't talk to me, I'm going to I'm gonna write a scoop Ooh, on your a new little company. Ready, poo. <laughs> yeah. A little timed. This this piece is coming out at 5 yeah. p.m. With yeah. or without your participation, Mr. Yeah. Ken But I will say— I, like you know, I did that myself. Yeah, but but for my time in L.A., one of the things that I knew the, the, you know, the most about you was that you were an early supporter uh, and friend of Elon's. I mean, you, you knew him from his earliest right? days. You were one of the—I I think so. You were you were driving, like, the pre-Tesla. Uh, uh, I have an early Tesla. You have I an have early number, Tesla? And I, I have I, uh, Tesla's a great car. And I, remember I have you number t- 16 of the Roadster mm-hmm. and number one of the Model S, serial number 000001 signature. And I remember you saying in an interview once that, you know, mm-hmm. after Elon, you know, he was really down on his luck for a while, you know, maybe post PayPal and before Tesla started doing well. He was, he was broke. Yeah. And, and, and he had talked to you about it. So you were kind of there for him at a time that he was at his lowest. So you understand him at, you know, the various states of his success and, and non-success. What do you think we are missing about Elon as the press in terms of writing about him? I have been lucky enough to have a lot of great friends in tech. Uh, and he is one of the great entrepreneurs of our time, and he will figure everything out. That's the beginning and the end of it. That's as much as we can say about Elon. That's it. Okay. That's it. You know, it's, I do not speak for Elon. I am not a proxy for Elon. He so, is on Twitter right now. You can hit. You can. You can text. Oh, we emailed can, uh, him to come on the show. Let's talk about Twitter on a different episode. I am curious. Like, I mean, you've been skeptical of crypto. Like, what? What do you make of sort of the FTX? unraveling and like how much worse do you think this is going to get 
I think that 99% of it is fraud and incompetence. I'm talking about the entire crypto space. And one alleged, blah. alleged, <laughs> FTX, alleged, alleged, uh, alleged, but not looking good. Um, I think 99% of crypto, based on the meetings I've had, and there have been hundreds of meetings I've had over the years, I'd say 99% of it is a grift or incompetence or some combination of grift, incompetence, and naivete. The technology tool stack that you would call Web3 is a collection of interesting components of other technologies, whether it's encryption or decentralization. We had decentralized BitTorrent or Nutella or whatever. Uh, there, there, the encryption technologies existed. Blockchain technology. All this stuff is like, you know, like interesting components. But other than money store and money transfer, most of this stuff does not have a viable customer base. And so almost all of the companies I met with, I would ask them to show me the product or talk to me about the customers. And they'd show me a white paper and tell me I was stupid. And, you know, when I had them on the podcast, I'd say, hey, I had Do Kwan on the pod. Hey, explain to me what this Terra Luna thing is. He couldn't yeah. explain it. I asked him three times to explain it to me. He couldn't explain it. And I was like, well, I don't get it. I guess I'm dumb. And I'm one of the greatest angel investors of all time and have been in tech for 30 years. So I know I'm not the smartest guy, but I'm definitely not the dumbest guy. I should be you able live, to get this. You live through like the dot-com boom. We have the yeah. crypto this thing is happening. Now. This is worse. worse. Crypto is much worse. Systemically more like more uh, it's, impact or? In the dot-com era, people were true believers. They thought they would figure it out and the thing got overhyped. In this case, I think people are deliberately uh, buying tokens, flipping them to retail. And I think when the investigations come out, it's going to be a really bad look for a lot of people in the tech industry. Beyond crypto or only crypto? Just it's, crypto is where this is manifesting. There's, you know, when you buy shares in a startup, you're locked up for 10 years, right? Like I buy Uber or I have Robinhood shares. Yeah, maybe some secondary offerings come. Masa comes in or Yuri Milner comes in, wants to buy some people's shares, you know, privately. It can happen. It happens one out of 100 times, you know. This was, I think, people, because I was in some of these meetings and I was watching people do this. They were lawyer shopping, which is where, like, a lawyer doesn't give you the answer you want, so you just go to like the fifth, sixth, seventh lawyer. You start going down like to lawyers in the right. Cayman Islands, lawyers in Panama, and all of a sudden, some lawyer for a million five tells you, "Yeah, we can totally set this up in Panama." And whenever you're picking a jurisdiction and a law firm based upon the eventual outcome that you're going to get sued or arrested, you're doing something that you probably shouldn't be doing. And if you can't do it in Delaware, if you can't do it with a Wilson Sonsini or whatever law firm, Fenwick, Oric, you probably shouldn't be doing it. And so I was watching founders getting these like legal opinions and then setting up these, you know, nonprofits or, right. you know, where they would right. store the coins and they would sell the money. And then VCs were buying the coins and then liquidating them. And there's no, there's a whole securities law. Horowitz is, uh, oh, did they invest in crypto? <laughs> They they were involved. Just a, just just a bit I hear. So instead of instead of the dot com bust, it's more like the junk bond scandals and the penny stock camp scandals of the eighties, where it was like a totally unregulated. People were making the rules. They were shopping for attorneys. It's almost the same exact pattern, and then flipping everything to retail and getting out, and then screwing an entire generation of investors. Is that what, you, that's what you just said? That's what it feels like to me, for sure. Yeah, that's what yeah, it feels yeah. like because and, and you know, I find better it, analogy. <laughs> It's, yeah, the dot-com thing was just a bunch of, like, folks who thought, hey, we'll, we'll eventually figure this out, you know, and we may not have enough people right now to justify this valuation, but we'll fill it in. It wasn't like, I'm going to buy a bunch of these tokens, and then I'm going to sell them yes. on something to a bunch of, you know, bag holders in the public, and I'm going to start doing podcasts about how amazing crypto is going to change the world and use my previous, you know, trust in my brand to go flip these things, right? And, yes. you know, there are some moments of things being real. I do think like NFTs for ticketing or for maybe stock photography or music licensing where like I took the stock photograph, I worked for the New York Times and I agreed with them as a stringer. They get right. half the rights. I get half the rights. There, there's a lot of hopes here. and dream, you know. Yeah, you those things could be dope. Something. Yeah. Could yeah. Be. Or DAOs. DAOs have some interesting components. I've looked at those. Um, now, it's not legal. But when you look at securities law and you decide, I'm going to break securities law because somebody in another jurisdiction told me it's okay, shame on you. It's one thing for Airbnb to be like, you know, I think these laws around what's a hotel and what's me renting a place, you know, renting an extra bedroom, 
I'm going to interpret it this way and there's no consumer harm. When there's no consumer harm and you want to bend or evolve the rules for ride sharing or for, you know, Airbnbs, that's one thing. Because you always have the consumers who come to your um, defense. Defense and say, listen, I'm making $800 a month, right. you know, selling my extra room. Who's the government to tell me I can't? It's my room. I'm paying for it. Well, don't we have property rights? Same thing with Uber, right? Uber took that strategy in New York. Lyft took that strategy. Hey, right. tell the mayor de Blasio that, you know, we shouldn't have a cap on Ubers because of this evil medallion industry. Now you go to, you know, these crypto folks and it's like, yeah, I, I, you need to defend my right to sell some, you know, you know, civilians in Florida, these tokens that are worthless. And it's like, what? Yeah. This is like the Wolf of Wall Street. But don't you think the same thing could be said about SPACs? Like, have you guys been hard enough? Well, SPACs is different because there's a... About Chamath, about the SPAC craze. Okay. So in terms of SPACs, one of the things... So there are a range of SPACs, and I've had a couple of my companies go, go public via SPACs, and it's a little bit frustrating because as much as you want to get liquidity for your investors... Uh, we had Desktop Metal, uh, a really cool 3D printing company, very real company with real customers that love their real products. But we had companies staying private for too long, like Uber and Airbnb. And then we started to have companies going public too early. If the framing of these companies was to the public, these are highly speculative investments. Do not make them more than 5% of your portfolio, 2% of your portfolio, whatever. It would have been fine. But the problem was you had this Robin Hood you know, Wall Street bets, you know, everybody betting on stocks in in a very kind of, you know, aggressive fashion, almost in some cases gambling as opposed to like I'm betting. But Jamoth was the avatar for, for this. Well, craze. some of those companies are very real. You know, the companies he spacked, some of them are very real. And then some of them like, you know, Virgin Galactic are like a speculative you can get. I don't have a problem with adults buying a speculative company or a real company that has, you know, five years worth of revenue or one that doesn't. They just need to be educated properly, you know? And so I think there, it, would, it was almost like they were too successful with retail investors. The retail investors needed to not run these things up. But that's what happens in the market. Like, I think Joby, the the VTOL company, yeah. I don't have a stake in this. A couple of my friends invested in it. I, I want to buy the shares in that company. I've been watching it, like, to do a J trade. <laughs> like, maybe I should buy some of this because it's it's cheaper than it was as a public company. Even BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed's worth $250 million or something crazy. Like, Bu- BuzzFeed's doing three or $400 million in revenue, but their valuation's two fifty. dollars right. mm-hmm. BuzzFeed's uh, a, a decent media property. Why is it worth so little? And that went out by SPAC. So, yeah, SPACs, we want to have more, that we want to have more public companies and we want to democratize access to them. Right. But it was probably the bad timing of when this happened, when retail was kind of losing their minds buying everything that was a new issuance. And, and you know, Chamath can defend himself if he wants to, but, you know, I think... Uh, and, you know, oh, it's capable, it would be so fun it. to talk to him. So, you know, yeah, there's, you, yeah. you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, there's obviously yeah. so much going on right now. How do you sort through and determine, how would you rank the tech stories happening right now in terms of, like, broad importance beyond the tech industry? Which are the most important, like, three stories, do you think? Well, the most important stories is how many people does it take to run Amazon or Google or Facebook. And, or another company. Or any other company. <laughs> Pick a company. Any company in tech. Yeah. And the truth is, people were hiring for a growth cycle that was two or three years out. That was kind of how Larry and Sergey explained it to me back in the day with Google. They just wanted to get as many, many talented people in the building as possible and then figure out what to do with them later. And yeah. everybody copied that playbook. And it was also a blocker strategy they wanted to have smart people in the building, let them run amok, you know, self-organize. We're paying you three or four hundred grand a year, but you figure out what you want to do. Go find two interesting people and run Orchid or Google Plus or come up with Google Video. You know, just self-organize. Who cares? It's you know, we're print- we have a money printing machine. That strategy permutated all companies, whether it's Uber, uh, which hasn't done a riff recently, or Airbnb, which did a bunch of riffs and got to profitability. Um, and Facebook, the mighty Facebook, you know, he finally decided to cut the staff. So I think what we're going to see is a lot of companies getting a lot smaller in tech, uh, and a lot more focused and it's going to be a pretty brutal 2023, I predict. That being said, I'm investing more than ever because now valuations for startup companies where I invest, um, you know, they've gone back to when I invested in Uber, it was a $5 million company and, 
you know, I see companies regularly that, that don't have the traction and don't have TK that are asking for 25 million. And I'm like, hmm, like you're no TK. This company doesn't have the promise of Uber. So why is it worth 25 million? I'm going to say that to myself. Right. But now these valuations have come back down to earth and then teams are doing more than less. So austerity for America writ mm -hmm. large, controlling mm -hmm. spending, austerity measures inside of companies. Uh, it's going to be 2023 could be gnarly, let alone a black gonna swan be, event. It's going to be ugly, yeah. And then if we have a real recession. All right. Well, no, uh, it's going to be, a, I think yeah. it would be a real recession. I, what I'm worried about is if some unknown, unknown happens. Right. Forget about Taiwan or or Ukraine, Russia. Like, we know about those. I'm worried Absolutely. about like, the thing like we don't know about. Yes, yes, yes. The 9-11, yes. God forbid, uh, situation is really, like, that could send this into a contagion-like event uh, right. where, you know, you would have a lot of, we could go from three or 4% unemployment to 10 and yeah. the 10 million jobs we have open could go to zero. Right? Yeah. That's what I'm worried about right now. L last question here, Jason, yeah. just to, to sure. look forward here on, on the media side of things. Yeah. Where, where do you, where do you see that headed? I mean, you, you mentioned Buzzfeed, let's not even touch them specifically, but like, you know, what's, what's going to happen to, you know, the status of the legacy media companies? Well, I mean, I did get Molly Wood, a career journalist as well, to join me for this week in startup. So keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. So I am pursuing both. You know, I wanted to have somebody who's a great journalist like Molly be my co-anchor on This Week in Startups for a reason. She brings like a level of, you know, seriousness and credibility to the pod, you know, which kind of balances out my bombastic nature. Right. She's your Robin uh, to your to your Howard. I get it. Probably more like more like my Molly Wood, you know, like my credible <laughs> finance journalist. Like, <laughs> okay. you know, not to diminish Molly's Robin. Your Molly Wood. Yeah. Molly's my Molly Wood. Yeah, that's it, basically. I mean, I mean, she's like a super credible, you know, career journalist um, who worked at the New York Times, CNET, and Marketplace. So, but now she's learning how to be an investor, too. So it's kind of neat. Um, hmm. I would say, I think, you know, the, the independent uh, newsletter uh, and the, the Kevin Kelly's Thousand True Fans is going to be very alluring to the top journalists. Um, and I think top publications are going to just continue to pursue subscriptions over uh, advertising so they can spend more on it. I mean, the information's doing a, a really solid job. Uh, Washington Post doing a really solid job. You know, that's put it on pretty stable, you know, footing. I think the New York Times with their collection of subscription assets like The Athletic and Crosswords and whatever, Wirecutter, pretty savvy move. And the more you have subscriptions, the more predictable it is and the less you're dependent on clickbaiting strategies like Business Insider pursues, you know? Um, <laughs> Wouldn't know. No, it's not a dig. I mean, but we uh, when when I say something on All In, you know, or we have a topic, they, they might drag that out five different stories that are all 300 words and, you know, they, you know how they do it. Sure, you yeah, SEO the headlines. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. Yeah. So, you know, you can't take the Washington Post, you know, and Insider and Casey and Eric and, you know, like, there's a lot going on here. It's not one thing. It's, I kind of feel like we're talking about paper. You know, like you can make a magazine or a newspaper. You can make paper towels. You can make toilet paper. Like paper can do a lot of different things. And, you know, making content can be a lot of different things. Yeah. But I think a, a more savvy. Would you savvy, invest in the New York Times right now? Maybe to just ask in a pointed way. Do you think it's a good stock? I mean, stock? if they didn't have a, if the New York Times didn't have uh, super voting shares, I would invest in the New York Times if they had, they have God control over that company. Like Zuckerberg, and you think they just his. won't run it profitably or? I think they'll run it for the benefit of their sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth generation, not the benefit of the public or the shareholders or the employees. It's very interesting what Value Act is doing right now. I find it fascinating that they would even bother, but um, to see them go in as agitating force. It's just really tough. I think the best thing the family could do would be to figure out a way to, yeah, I guess this was a, I guess this was season two of um, Secession, but <laughs> a, a way to make this in the public's interest and and have like a... It, but in Succession, they're trying to sell it to like the Murdochs, you know, it's exactly. not to the public. You, you, and they don't. You, yeah. you, you want them to be more Buffett ruthless so in that. I believe I'm happy with the the elite family who runs the New York Times. I think they're. Oh, you want to have men run than... the New York Times forever, Eric? What you want to have men run the New York Times forever is what you're saying? No, I mean they they had a female editor at one point. Um, oh, at one point they did. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, <laughs> just, you want to keep the patriarchy in charge. Okay, Eric, we yeah. know where you stand. You want the patriarchy <laughs> to win. <laughs> it's interesting when you're back on your feet, you bring up woke politics. I thought you guys hated woke politics, but uh, I'm, I'm just joking. I'm show. laughing. <laughs> I just, this was fun, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a great night. Thanks, Jason. Goodbye. Silicon Valley. Goodbye, 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 goodbye.